Welcome to the True Crime Librarian. I'm your librarian and host, Ashley. Tonight I had other plans in case in the works, but when you rely on others to obtain research materials, you also leave things like deadlines in their hands. I'm not reluctant or shy about my profession. I utilize my library for as much research materials as I can. Most libraries offer a service that allows you to borrow materials from another library in order to provide you the best possible customer service. So for my up and coming case, I'd use that very service. Well, with Texas in their completely out of character winter storm we experienced just a few weeks ago, that meant that the United States Postal Service is still playing catch up. And since I borrow materials from other libraries, it is shipped primarily through the USPS. So here I am saying I'm human and I'm failing to make this deadline. So instead, I reached out to all of you, having you submit your questions about whatever you wanted me to answer. I've been wanting to do a question and answer style episode for some time since introducing myself the week of this past Christmas. So here we are. I'm going to answer some of those questions that came through social media, email, and more. Warning, this episode is probably going to contain long-winded answers, unexplained remarks and humor, possible adult language, and a definite break in the true crime monotony. Listeners' discretion is advised because you may choke on your snack of choice and lack of predictability. If you feel any of this may be too much for you, hold on to the seat of your pants because we're doing it anyways. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Good evening, my true crime nerds. As I explained in the introduction to this episode, this isn't the type of episode you are growing accustomed to hearing from my channel. So my next case, the one slated for being recorded tonight, hit a speed bump in the search for accredited research materials. But I didn't want to leave you guys hanging this week. I promised an episode and damn it, I'm going to give you one. My true crime nerd love this week goes out to each and every one of y'all still listening at this moment in this episode. I'll add in the ones that attempted but were bored to death before we could even make it this far. I also want to remind you that the limited March design of the month it has only 15 days left. So if you wanted to get that limited gear, you should probably go pick it up. At the merch store, which I will link in the description of this podcast episode or the YouTube video. Enough of that, let's get to why you all came here tonight. The answers to all of your burning questions. Caroline asks, do you hang out with other fellow podcasters? I'm curious who associates with who in the true crime podcast world. By the way, would enjoy a John Wayne Gacy done by you. Well, Miss Carolyn, oh, how I adore you and your comments and your feedback to the show on the cases that I cover. But I hate to pop your bubble. As of right now, I do not associate with any other podcaster in the true crime podcast world. 
outside of the few True Crime podcast groups I'm a part of on the Book of Faces. I'm not saying that I wouldn't, so don't, don't get that part buried into this answer. I would love to connect with my fellow podcasters and hope that one day we can collab with a case in the future that either I've covered or one that we are going to cover for the first time together. It's, um, it's, it's a, being a podcaster has taught me a lot about humanity. Um, this is not cutthroat. We uh, encourage each other. Um, if you want to start a podcast, go for it because you are going to get all kinds of tips, tricks, and, and the ins and outs of, of becoming a podcaster from other people who have been in your seat when you very first start. And when I came into this, I was scared. I was not sure of what I was really walking into or what I even survived the first month, two months, three months, six months. But here I am. I'm surviving. I have a great band of nerds that have latched onto the show and they continue to listen each and every week. I can say that I don't expect someone to reach out to me and say, hey, let's collab together on this case or another case. That's not, that's not what I'm expecting by any means. I do hope that I can get to a point where a collaboration happens. But as of right now, I, I don't associate with anybody else in the true crime podcast world as far as hosting goes. I have a few people that um, I've chatted with, but it's, it hasn't gone far, farther than just an acquaintance. In regards to the John Wayne Gacy case, well, I have very few cases that I come across and immediately am taken back with the details. However, with Mr. Gacy and his clowning around ways, it's one of them. I can't get past some of the details in this case. He did some awful things and I have a hard time with it. I have a hard time with the fact that he was very upstanding within his community. He was trusted. Parents hired him to be a clown at their children's birthday parties. You know, he managed a fast food chain through his father-in-law. He had so much respect, and yet he did some very vile things to the boys that went missing after being seen with John Wayne Gacy. And I don't know if it's the fact that he was a clown. I don't know if it's the fact that he really was respected within his community. But in the end, at the end of the day, I have a hard time with his case. I'm not saying I'm not going to cover the case. I'm just going to say it's not in the lineup as of yet. I know at some point I'm going to have to pull my big girl panties on and dive into this, but I probably will procrastinate on this case for as long as possible. I just, mm, it's just not one of my faves at all, um, but don't give up on me. We'll get there. Shelly Dixon, she commented and asked, what is my favorite true crime podcast? The magical question that everybody wants to know about their host. What other true crime or what other podcasts do you listen to? So let, let's start off on this giant bandwagon. I'm a huge TCG fan, a true crime garage fan. 
And the captain keeps discussions light with his interjections and opinions, but he also provides some very thought-provoking statements to the colonel. And they have no qualms. They cover some of the toughest cases that I am nowhere ready to cover. I love that they will discuss the unsolved cases as if they're in the investigation room with law enforcement, trying to push them to think outside of the box when it comes to these cases and where a dead end has been hit. Um, Their Madeline McCain case is amazing. Their Delphi murders, the three different times that they've come together and they've talked about that case, it's intriguing to hear what their opinion is on everything and where they kind of think things are going as far as the investigation um, and, you know, potential suspects. Uh, the Delphi murders, that's that's an interesting case. If you don't know about it, I encourage you to go dig in and find you a couple podcasts that do cover it. You can even do HLN's, you know, Down the Hill podcast series where they have broke down this case in such microscopic points that I think, I want to say there are like 20 episodes in or something. It's insane. But that's a case that I would I would encourage you to go listen to if you wanted to jump onto the True Crime Garage bandwagon. Now, another one I love is Erica. She's with Southern Fried True Crime. And she has one of the most soothing talk radio voices I think I've ever heard. Her southern drawl is like none other. Her ability to create an almost story-like tell out of all these crimes she covers, it's untouchable. She's simply amazing. Um, If you haven't listened to her, go check her out. And let me just encourage you to start with The Ballad of Zach and Addie. It's a two-parter. And it's... It's jaw-dropping, you know. uh, This case, it draws you out of your comfort zone. It it plays on your emotions. And by the end of it, you feel sorry for each and every individual that is involved in the case. It's an amazing story, and she did phenomenal covering that case. It wasn't easy due to the fact that it, it, it had occurred during the time of Katrina in New Orleans. And so I think that provided a little bit of a hurdle. But she cleared it and she did she did amazing. It was it was awesome to hear. Side note, how many of my nerds have gone on vacation and stopped into a museum, set up in a house or apartment or a building where a crime has occurred and the curator, quote, um, is making money off of, of that crime. Is this a normal thing? Is it, do you seek out visiting these places? I mean, I asked the question because we were on vacation. My family was, and we went to California and we were staying in Long Beach and we were staying in a hotel that was just across the bay from the Queen Mary. My oldest daughter, she was like, let's go. I want to check it out. I want to I want to see what the hype is all about. And I was like, I don't think so. <laughs> you know, I, I, I am a true crime podcaster and I do like true crime. But being in the same place where something like that occurred gives me the heebie-jeebies. It's just, I don't know, it makes my skin crawl. Even just talking about 
the fact that she wanted to go onto this boat and experience the the paranormal that happens, I just I couldn't get behind her. And thankfully, my husband, he he doesn't do true crime. He doesn't do the paranormal. He was like, we're not doing that. And then we had my youngest daughter with me, and she was way too young to experience something like that. So in the end, she was outvoted, and we, we never stepped foot on the boat. We did admire it from across the bay, but that's about as far as I was uh, willing to get to it. However, if it just been me and her, oh, she would have talked me into it, and I'd been on this boat, scared out of my mind. Ugh, I would... <laughs> I laugh because I know how intimidated I would be and, and just, I would be a big old scaredy pants and I'd been uncomfortable the entire way and she probably would have picked on me the entire time and, and made jokes with it. And that's the thing with me and my oldest, we, we go and we do like we, when it came out, when the remake came out, we went to the movies and we saw both the opening weekend that they were out and we're the two that's in the movie theaters cracking jokes at different lines that were just they were put in to create some comic relief some lightness to the entire storyline and so <laughs> we're laughing and cutting up and I'm sure people around us are like these two weirdos they think they're at a comedy and, but that's just who we are. That's just who me and my daughter are when we get together. And, and we don't even have to do anything revolving around horror movies or paranormal things. Just in the car ride to, to town, it's it's a blast. Um, but if she would have got me on that boat, I think the thing I would have been most grateful for is if I had made it off with dry paint. Um, I do promise to share with you all if if something like this ever occurs. I don't personally go seek out these um, infamous points in history. I don't I don't uh, make it a point to stop through something like that. It's just it's just not something I'm comfortable with. Um, I don't know why, other than the fact that it just doesn't feel natural don't feel like somebody should be making money off of something horrendous that happened to a person who lost their life and and a family is suffering because their loved one is no no longer with them because of the actions of somebody else so i don't i just have a hard time with it and the reason i brought it up after talking about the ballad of zach and addy is you can go down and you can you can go through the apartment. It's still, for the most part, set up like it was the day that police walked in and discovered the the grisly crime that had occurred there. And so there's somebody, and they make money off of it. And um, that's why I brought it up at the you know in in regards to the the ballad of Zach and Addie with Southern Fried True Crime. It's just, it's just a weird, to me, it's just very weird. Um, back to answers. Um, I also enjoy Crimes of Passion with Lainey Hobbs. It's another one that, that the host has a very soothing uh, voice to listen to. You know, I, I know that I'm probably listing some big hitters, okay? But it's only been about a year, maybe a year and a half since my oldest introduced me into podcasting. So 
I didn't realize there was this whole world of true crime podcasts out there that I could have been listening to years ago. Most of my knowledge had come from reading about it in books that crossed my desk at work or that my mom was like, hey, you need to go check this out. And it's it's a crazy case um, or through documentaries. If I'm going to watch a documentary nine times out of ten, it, it, it's true crime related in some sort. I don't typically seek out nonfiction TV shows. Look at me showing off my librarian skills. Um, that don't, that, you know, don't have some kind of thriller or mystery aspect to them. So, crimes of passion, southern fried, you know, TCG. Those are some great ones that I just stumbled across as I was researching um, material for a case. So when I head out and I start doing my research, one of the first things I do is I start looking up and seeing how many episodes and how many different podcasts have covered the same crime. Unfortunately, I've landed some really poor researched podcast. And I hate to say that because my research is probably the thing I, I focus on the most. So when I was doing the Shelly No Tech case, she is not, she's not a big hitter in the true crime world. She, I mean, she is once you hear the case, once you know her story, you, you can't believe how hush-hush her case was. So when I was starting to research for her, I, I started with podcasts and I stumbled across a podcast and I don't think I was five minutes into it before I was screaming, you don't even have this right. Like from what I just know, generally, you don't have the facts right. And, and I wanted to be like, where did you get, where'd you get the story? So I ended up shutting it off and I hate to do that. I, I want to give shows a chance um, to, to um, prove that they are worthy. So I usually give a few episodes in. This podcast, however, because I'm screaming and hollering about how the facts were not correct, they didn't make it 10 minutes. So I caution you when you're out listening to true crime um, and you don't do your own research, bear in mind that you can't believe everything because it may not be exact. And I'm not perfect. I mean, I don't go in and research every little thing I have and get like, you know, three or four credible resources on it. I don't do that. And so I realized that I probably have error in my own work and I shouldn't be, you know, talking about how somebody else didn't do well. I'm not perfect. I don't, I don't, you know, triple check each and every fact that I give you. However, when there's obvious discrepancies in just the general of the crime, like when, when you first hear something, generally it's a, a general description of, hey, did you hear about so-and-so? This is what happened. Five minutes later, you're done. You're talking about something else. So when there's discrepancies in just the summary of the crime, I have a, I get frustrated and I stop and I, I probably won't give that podcast an, another glance. Um, 
because I want to be able to provide my listeners, my nerds, the most accurate information. And if I feel like I'm not getting that somewhere, I it's frustrating. And that's just because of who I am and, and how I produce my, my episodes. So with all of that being said, my shows have very little humor. I look for podcasts that do very little inside jokes when we're dealing with, with you know, a two-host scenario, three-host. If there's inside jokes going on between them, it's really hard to follow the conversation because it's talk radio. You're not seeing their, their mannerisms. We can't see their body language. We can't look at all these other things and try and decipher what the conversation is about. So when they're like, oh, you remember that one time? Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember. Okay, well, why is it relevant? Let's let's discuss this one time because I wasn't there. I wasn't in attendance for that one. Nobody sent me the the invitation. So I really have a hard time with things that have a lot of inside jokes between their host. I also don't deal with a lot of bullshitting. Um, if it takes you 10 minutes to start talking about the case, I probably turned you off at minute six. Um, if I, if I start a show and, and I'm just not, they're not on topic or they can't stay on topic or like I said, they're laughing at their own inside jokes. It's frustrating because <laughs> that's, I'm not, if I wanted comedy, I would, I would listen to comedic podcasts. I just would. That's not why I'm here. Although I do realize that our topics are very hard. They're very, they require you to be a very serious person when listening. So I don't, I just don't like my true crime with comedy. I, I don't mind um, little interjections that, that kind of lighten the mood. And I don't mind, um, you know, when the host is, on their own little self-tangent talking to their self as long as it's short and brief. I just, I have very few shows out there that I am just religiously going back and, and going through their history and listening to shows that, listening to their episodes that are, you know, previous before I came along to the podcast world. So if you have show suggestions, feel free to open my eyes to them. You know, shoot me a message, uh, comment on the video, comment, you know, reach me out, reach out to me on Facebook and on Instagram and recommend some of this stuff to me because I'm more than willing to give it a try. I want to explore more to the true crime world as far as the podcast goes. There's not a whole lot outside of the podcast that I don't, I mean, I've read more true crime books than I probably should admit to anyone. So we're not going to say that number out loud. And I've watched more documentaries and I've watched, you know, 48 hours and forensic files. And if it, you know, Dateline, oh my gosh, I'm such a Dateline junkie. Um, even though like the first 10 minutes, you know who it is, you know, they try to play on the, who could it be until they reveal at the very end. But if you, if you watch Dateline any, uh, you eventually pick up when they're shooting inside of a prison or they're shooting an inmate. So you, you pick up on that and you're like, oh, hey, she did it or he did it or whatever. Um, but I still love that they try to like fool you. So I'm, I'm a huge Dateline junkie and ID channel junkie. 
Um, nothing compares. But podcasting world, as far as that world goes, I'm still pretty new to it. So open my eyes, you know, suggest some shows. I'm down. Okay, so Shelly, she had a second part that relates well to her first question. She asked me what my favorite book is. Well, that's like opening Pandora's box, but I'm going to try and answer kind of some of it. I'm a librarian, so labeling something as my favorite is like picking your favorite child. Okay, <laughs> that's easier than picking your favorite book. Let's just say it's not an easy task being um, a person who works inside of a library. And being asked this dreaded question, it, it makes my stomach roll because I can't, like, they're what, what's your favorite? I have to assign just one book? One? Oh my, I don't know. You know, I, my palms get sweaty. It's, it's awful. So, um, she, she had asked me, um, prior to even me soliciting your questions, what my favorite book was. And I was like, oh Lord, I could, I could write a book about my favorite book. So I'm just going to kind of go through and give you a few different genre and, and the books, the book that comes to mind or the one that I tend to lean to the most when recommending reading. So currently if I have to pick a true crime favorite novel or, or book, it's If You Tell by Greg Olson, and it's the story of Shelley Notek, and he did an incredible job detailing Shelley and her unstable mental capacity through the eyes of her daughters. They were her victims, along with Kathy and Ron and Shane. So I can't imagine the stories he had to sit down and listen to when, when he talked to the daughters of Shelley. But he did a, a, I can't even, like, it's a phenomenal book. If you haven't picked it up, go pick it up. If you listen to my Shelley No Tech episodes, it was heavily documented from the book um, because she is so under the radar. But it has you flipping through the pages faster than you're going to flip through the pages of a flip book to see what the little stick figure is going to do next. You're rolling through this book by Greg Olson. It's amazing. I, go pick it up. Just seriously, go do it. And then, you know, you can hate me later when you're sleep deprived. My favorite fiction. Well, let's pull up a seat because because we're going to be uh, putting that whole warning, long winded answers coming. We're going it, to it, insert it here. Um, I don't just read mysteries and I don't just read crimes or psycho thrillers. I have a softer side. I, I like a good romance book and it's, you know, a plus if it gets a little dirty in the romance department. I don't mind that. Every once in a while I can read a dystopian novel if the movie was really good, <laughs> you know? So, I mean, I can't really narrow this down, but I'm going to try really hard to. So, um, to be a little bit more specific, a good mystery book. I'd have to go with Jillian Hoffman's Retribution and the entire series that goes with that. That was phenomenal. It was awesome. Uh, a coworker, and she she picked it up and she started reading it, and she came to work. And we're you know we share what books we're reading frequently with each other, and we're like, oh, you want to know what I was reading last night? And then we'll tell. So she hit me up and she was telling me and she's like, this guy had been waiting outside of 
Um, this girl's apartment, when she came home late from a date, he had a clown mask. He ended up violently raping her. And 15 years later, she's this DA and she's trying this guy who's just been picked up off the interstate who had a dead body in the trunk. And when he opens his mouth, that voice hits her and she's like, he's the guy, He, you know. He's the one that was in New York and, and he, he raped me. So it was interesting. And I, at that point, I was like, shut it down. Don't tell me no more because when you're done, can I borrow your book? Um, and it, both of us have read through the entire series. They're hard to put down because she does a great job at, at pulling you in and making you feel like you're standing there and you're watching this happening in front of you. She's great. I love her. Jillian was a DA for Florida for a while. I don't, I'm not sure if she still practices law. The thing I hate most about this though is all of her books, they're published overseas. So they don't come out in English for years. Yeah, I said that. Years. We are waiting on the latest novel in this series. It has been out in Germany and Poland and it's been out overseas for two years and we're still like when is it English term can we get it in America because I want to know what's going on. So the first I think there's four books in the series are great. You're gonna you're gonna track this young DA and and the PTSD she has from this horrible crime that happened to her in college. And you're gonna track her through until ultimately she ends up getting revenge. Go pick it up, read it. You can hate me later um, <laughs> when you're in the same boat with us as waiting for this next um, book to be printed in English. I, that, I'm I'm okay with that. So. If you haven't read it, go try it. It's great. If you're looking for a good, like, psycho thriller crime book, this one was amazing. I know I'm using amazing and phenomenal. I'm trying to mix up my, my sugar words, and it's not really working. So it's called The Chain. It's by Adrian McKinty. I think the first two or three sentences, the author grabs onto your eyeballs, and he does not let them go until you're on the last word of the book. It's crazy fast. It, it gets your heart pumping. If you're wearing an Apple Watch or a smartwatch that, that monitors your heart rate or your breathing, it's going to go off a lot and tell you to calm down because you are just adrenaline from the get-go. And it's awesome. I would have never come up with a storyline from this book. It, it would never have dawned on me. Um, and when we, so my coworker, my boss, whatever you want to call her, she orders the books and we frequently are like, oh, listen to this one. And she'll read a summary off and I'll be like, holy crap, we need to read this. Frequently does this happen. But when the, this book, The Chain, when the summary came out and we were talking about it and she read it, I don't think there was an order that came through until that book got there that we weren't, you know, that's not it. That's not it. That's not it. Like this was highly anticipated by both of us and it was finished in record time for the both of us as well. I think I had it down in a day and she had it down in two. 
Um, it's which is amazing because we're both full time, and this was just prior to me starting podcasting, so I hadn't started doing heavy research yet. But this book, phenomenal. Go pick it up if you haven't. Check it out on Kindle. Go to your local library because that is going to get you brownie points with me. Go read this book called The Chain by Adrian McKinty. All right. So did you know there's a such thing as a crime romance genre? It's amazing. It's awesome. I love it. And who knew you can mix the two so eloquently together, but Jessica Hawkins does just that with her White Monarch series. Seriously, grab you some chocolates, some tissues, and a comfy blanket and be prepared to hunker down for the entire weekend. That's my only warning for this. I mean, it's drug cartel meat love of your life. Awesome. Phenomenal. There's that word. You can, you can make fun of me in the comments later. As far as romance goes, I, I go back to Miss Jessica Hawkins, and she has a series called Something in the Way. And I know I'm recommending series to you outside of The Chain. The Chain is a single standalone. But who doesn't love a good series? You, you, you know, you kind of don't want the characters to go away. So she has this series called Something in the Way. I own it on uh, on ebook. I know, shame on me. But I do. I own it on ebook and I easily read it twice a year. It's that good. Um it it's a story. It's beautiful. But I so wish she would have gave us more than one book when the characters finally get to come together and and, and love each other. You only get about one book for that. I'm sorry. I know it's awful. But it's a good series. I recommend it more frequently than I should. Um, so no more mush. I promise. Let's get back to the true crime. But seriously, my list is endless. And I have books I could recommend for just about any genre. So if there's something out there you're looking for, shoot me a message, comment, hit me up on Facebook, on Instagram, and um, ask me and I'll give you something from my plethora of my list of what I've read. It's endless. I'm sorry. I don't. I... Jenny Erickson. I just want y'all to know that in my mind, I'm being a lot more funnier <laughs> than I'm not. But um, this is me, awkward, and I'm trying to let my personality shine through, and it's weird and a little uncomfortable. Jenny Erickson, she had more of a statement than she did a question, but I'm choosing to address it now. I do not cut out details in a case. I have heard more than once in a podcast, and Jenny said the same thing. She, you know, they tell you, you know, if you want to know the details, go Google it. Well, if I wanted to Google it, I'd have Googled it. I'm here listening to you tell me about it. I don't want to have to go outside of this and do some, you know, homework to try and get the entire story. I will forewarn you that this is something I do not do. I, you know, if you want to not hear, if you don't want to hear these parts of the story, that's fine. I forewarn you, you're able to mute, you're able to fast forward and get to the parts that aren't so dark and grim. However, these details provided to the listeners, to our armchair detectives, to nerds, to junkies, to whatever it is you want to call yourself, you have to have 
the details that are provided in order to gain the most vivid picture of the crime. And I believe wholeheartedly in giving you all of that, no matter the gruesome details. And here's why. Most people, when they are learning or or listening or watching or reading about true crime, they're not in it looking for details of how to perfect, how to get away with murder, okay? I'm not saying there's not some fool out there trying to listen to as many true crime podcasts and be like, oh, don't do that. I'm not saying that. However, most of us are sitting back. We want to hear the case. We want to know why this person did what they did. All of us are, you know, amateur psychologists. Uh, a lot of people are drawn to, to true crime for the, the psychology aspect of it. So by listening to the details of what happened to the victim or how they died, as far as abrasions, cuts, bruises, hesitation marks, all of the above, it shows you something more about the perpetrator. You know, if there's hesitation marks, you can almost expect to hear that the person committing the act was either A, close to the victim, B, unsure they even wanted to be doing what they were doing at that time as far as harming another person, or C, there's possibly somebody in the background forcing them to harm this person. Hesitation can present so much unsaid details. Okay. Same with bruises. If, if a victim is covered in bruises and they're all at different various stages of healing, we can almost bet that there has been a long line of abuse that has occurred. And with long-term abuse, we see the abuser get more comfortable and they like to push that line to see how much that person can take. And eventually what happens, like with the Shelly Notek case, they become confident that A, the person they're abusing is not going to say anything. B, they are capable of taking more than what is being dished out. And C, they know when somebody's going to die. Well, guess what? No, they're probably not going to say anything because if there's physical abuse, there's psychological abuse. Um. They don't take as much. The more you abuse someone, the less they're able to take. It's not, you're not trying to train them in endurance. You are slowly breaking down their ability to, to fight back. So if you're looking at somebody and they have, if you're looking at a victim and you see multiple, you know, notations of bruises at different you can almost guarantee there has been prolonged abuse. That also tells you something about the perpetrator. We're not telling you these deep, dark, nasty, gruesome details because we're some gore fan. Most of us, you know, are, have the same stomach you do. It, it can become very turning with these details. But when I'm coming to listen to an episode, I expect it all. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And that's what you're going to get from me as far as my show goes and how we tackle true crime cases. You're going to get it all. Because I don't feel like you can get the entire picture, 
the entire story without it all. So when you're a host and you tell your listeners, you know, I'm not going to go into detail, but you can Google it if you want to know. They would have Googled it, but instead they took the time to seek out your episode that covers the crime and they're wanting you to paint the picture. And you're not. You're, you're disappointing the listener when you say this. Um, there are people out there that don't want to hear it. So forewarn them before you get into the details. Give them an opportunity to either mute the show for X amount of minutes or fast forward until they're past that. But you have more people out there than not that don't want you to tell them, Google it. Okay? So, it's not a question, but I just... I have a problem with that. And, you know, my fellow podcaster, if, if I wanted to go down that rabbit hole of Google, I would have done that instead. So I don't know that that was just a that was a statement that I had to address because I've seen how this plays out in other podcasts. It does not mean they don't have a terrific cat podcast going over the case. Don't get me wrong. They can be very well researched. However, you are not giving the full picture. So it's just a thought out there. You know, a lot of murderinos, which by the way is the weirdest thing, but thanks, you know, Ned Flanders. They want to know it all, not just some. Okay, True Crime University host Debbie, she asked a couple questions. The first question was, how did I get interested into true crime? The second being, do I have experience within the field? So I'm going to go ahead and pretend that none of you have missed any of my episodes and you all heard the episode back to where it all began, the case of Fairy and Wardrobe. That's, you're going to know how I got my interest in true crime, but I'm, I'm not naive and I know not all of you heard it. So I will tell you now, um, my mom met a man at one of the local clubs when I was about seven months old. After last call, she picked me up, she took me home, he followed as the two were supposed to hang out that night and they were just going to be alone. My mom says he's a nice guy, he was easy to talk to, he wasn't bad looking. However, my mom didn't know he had a darker side. And after a few or half a dozen of her friends showed up that night without any warning, he left visibly upset. And my mom, she chose to stick around and hang out with her friends instead of chasing him down and try to, you know, talk him into to withstanding the whole, you know, impromptu party at her house. So after a few weeks, my mom, she was watching the news and they were talking about this guy down in Galveston, Texas. And he was saying he had committed a murder in Wichita Falls, Texas. And so they had arrested him and he was being extradited back up. When she sat down and really started paying attention and his picture popped up, well, lo and behold, it was the very same guy that who had been in our home with my mom just a couple weeks before and left upset. It would be 10 years before she found out just how lucky she was because he didn't just kill one woman. He killed five. And it's... So at some point I learned the story. I can't tell you how old I was. Um, she can probably tell you when she thinks she first kind of told me of the story, but you know, it doesn't matter. 
I learned of this story and thus began my quest to find out why. Why did he choose not to do any harm to my mom that night? Why did he choose to just keep hunting for somebody else? You know, what made him think, not her? What what was going on in his mind? So that's how I kind of came to be the nerd that I am when it comes to true crime. It's not, you know, here, don't get me wrong. So forever in a day, if me and my mom are ever sitting around and we're talking to people and it's a person who doesn't know us well, and we're just getting to know one another, this story comes up and we joke about it. We laugh and we cut up and, you know, I make fun of my mom. I'm like, how could you do that to me, mom? You know, you almost got me killed. It's a joke. It's a running joke between me and her. However, when I decided I was going to do the case on Ferry and Wardrobe, I called her and I said, Mom, I need you to, I need you to sit down and I need you to write this story out for me because I'm going to use it in the podcast and I want to say it from your point of view. And so she put pen to paper and once she was done, she sent it to me. But then my mom was, was audibly upset. Me and her don't live within the same state, but we do talk a lot. I could hear she was not okay. So it was weird. It was weird to me. I'm like, mom, we talked about this a million and a half times. And she said, you know, and you know, we have, we've talked about it. However, when you made me remember it in detail, it got to me. So she was shaken up and, and, you know, rightfully so that that's terrifying when you sit down and you break it up and you look at it piece by piece. So I read what she said. I read what she wrote. It was the introduction to episode one. That is my mom. If you have not read episode two, spoiler alert. Um, but for her, that's where it hit her. Okay. I was seven months old. I don't know this guy. And so I didn't ever expect it to affect me. However, at the end of episode two, when I was revealing that it was me and my mom, it hit me. I actually recorded the conclusion to that episode four times because my voice would get super shaky and my nerves would flare up and it just, it was odd because that's, you know, I, that's who I was for the first three or four cases that I covered. Um, I was nervous. You could hear it in my voice. I, you know, it was shaky the entire time I was talking about whatever cases I, you know, so it wasn't normal. And to hear that happening through my headphones, I was just like, what is going on with you? Because it didn't hit me until I was revealing it really, it really happened. You know, even though it's been a, a joke with us and it just, it, 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 you don't get to pick when it really hits home. And so when it does, it's, it's a little alarming. For her, it hit when I had her write it down, and I didn't understand it until it hit me at the end of episode two, and then I was like, yeah, whatever, for whatever reason, he didn't choose my mom and possibly me, I will forever be thankful for that um, because I never have figured out why he didn't choose her, so... There's how I get my interest into true crime. The second part, 
Do I have experience? Hell no. <laughs> I don't have any experience. I'm, I'm no more experienced than, you know, any other armchair detective out there. I will say I was a psychology major in college. I have not finished my degree. I do plan on it. You know, get off my back. It'll be fine. Um, <laughs> I'm fascinated by the human mind and the way it takes. Why are you making the choices you're making? What drives you to the point that you snap and you become capable of committing something so gruesome or heinous or vindictive or brutal or whatever you want to, whatever you want to label it? What makes you do that? What makes you be a person who rides the straight and narrow? That's me. Like, to a T, I hate being in trouble. If you say my middle name, I'm, I'm probably going to cry because I don't want to be in trouble. <laughs> you know, I, um, I do. It, if it's a rule, I have a really hard time not following it. But because we are humans, the curiosity that runs rampant within all of us, we all want to know the answers and we want it to be told to us in black and white. Psychology gives us the tools to take the very colorful image that's there and and sort it out and break it down and turn it into that black and white answer we're looking for. So to make sense of evidence and testimonies to get you to that point where it's a very, this is why it happened, you've got to use the tools that you learn going through psychology courses. So I'm not saying you can't pick that up and learn that. It's not... There's nothing, there's not a hidden secret you're going to learn in the class. I mean, if you want to learn about it, get on Google. <laughs> da -da -dunch. No, but <laughs> you know, it's not impossible to learn how to do that and not go to college. You can, you can do it. Um, so as far as do I have an experience, you know, no, I don't. None at all. <laughs> I mean... I've conned you all into listening to me for the last six months, but, you know, if it wasn't for books and documentaries and podcasts and, and reliable, credible sources on the internet, I'd be screwed. I wouldn't get the story right the first time or the hundredth time. So my friend Trailmix, she is awesome. She's the one that works behind scenes with me. It's awesome. I love her. Um, she asked a really good question. She said, what draws you to choose the cases you do? So here's the thing when it comes to me and true crime. I have probably heard more true crime cases than I can count on all of my finger and if fingers. And if I borrowed all of your fingers, there still would not be enough. But when I hear a case that defies logic, like killing their mother because their dad, their dead dad said she wasn't taking good enough care of him and his brother. So he swings a sledgehammer and obliterates his mother's face, making me ask, what the hell went wrong in your life that killing your mother in the most brutal way is the only way you saw out? What the hell? Okay, I know I've got you all intrigued. It is a case. We are going to cover it. But I had to throw it in there. You know, but... If I listen or watch or read a case and it makes me stop whatever it is I'm doing and jump on Google and, you know, end up at the bottom of the dark pit of web sleuth, you know, that, it's an interesting case. I write it down. 
it goes into my long, long list of cases that I want to cover. No, I'm not going to share with you that list because I don't want any of you going rogue. What's the point of me telling you if you're just going to do it on your own? So <laughs> I'm not going to share it. But then, you know, I sit down and I'm planning out, you know, what's my next three cases going to be? So I look at this list and I look at the cases and I see which ones are popping out. Which ones do I want to know more about the most? And those cases, you know, it's like a, I don't know, drawing sticks. Only it's like, ooh, that one, I remember. Oh, let's, what's more about that one? You know, there most people probably have like a sequential order they're going in that they're like, oh, um, I wrote down, you know, Zach and Addie. So I'm going to do that one. And then I will go to that one. I, no, that's not how I do this. <laughs> I'm ass backwards and I'm okay with that. Um, I, whatever ones are still grabbing my attention long after their, their names go down on the list, those are the ones I look at and then I rank them from most interesting and that's the, that's the next case. And what's the next most interesting after that? And that's the next case. So that's how I plan. And because at work, we plan about three months out. Well, we used to, thanks to COVID, we don't plan that far out. But with, um, I've learned to kind of be weeks ahead. So that's how I plan the show. I sit down um, when I don't have my nose in, in a book or in the computer or whatever. And I look at these cases and I look at the ones at, that I want to know more about. Now, I do have some, some names down on my list that are a little intimidating because the cases are so big and they were highly publicized. And they require me to talk about details that are extremely uncomfortable. As much as I want to know more about those cases, those tend to get pushed. I'm still learning. I'm still a newbie. I'm whatever you want to call me. So I want to be able to provide you with the best research that I can do. So I'm not going to pick a case that's overly intimidating. With that being said, the case I have slated up next, it's intimidating as hell, but it has my interest and it's peaked. I'm still learning and I'm completely fascinated with it. And I cannot wait to show you as soon as, you know, the good old postal service snail mail catches up with me. But that's kind of how I pick my cases. Now, you know, people claim to be OCD with their cleaning habits or the need for everything to have a space and then for you to put it back in that space. And I realize that we make light of a mental health issue with OCD, but it's not intended to be offensive. So if you are a person with OCD, just know we are not intending to offend you in any way. We're not trying to make light of the symptoms that you live with on a daily battle. It is just human nature not to realize how our words affect others. But with that, I say I have ADHD and, and truly I do. I have ADHD. It's not in the same form as, you know, I'm up running around a million miles a minute. Instead, it's my mind. It never shuts off. I, I, I mean, it, it goes and it has to be constantly learning. 
If I sit in a dark room where it's quiet, oh, drive me nuts. I'm not kidding. And I think this is why I I can multitask so well. Well, I can't multitask well. Who the hell am I trying to get? I multitask. Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Um, usually when I'm doing research on a case, I have a podcast playing in the background. Not all the time is that the same case that I'm currently working on. And neither is the documentary. Um, I have a lot of people, they, they like, oh, did you see this one on Netflix or HBO or, you know, Hulu? And I'm like, hell no, write it down so I can go home and watch it. And, um, that's, that's kind of how I work. Uh, even at work. I mean, you, you can ask my, my coworker, my friend, my boss, she'll tell you I've constantly got a podcast going in my ear. And sometimes I just completely zone out. Um, but I have to be that way. So for me, when somebody mentions a case I don't know about, it's like an, ooh, shiny moment. And we're going to poke fun at me for just a moment. When I go shopping and I see something sparkly, it usually draws my attention. And nine times out of 10, I will walk over to that. And I don't care if I'm having a conversation with the person I'm with, or if I've completely changed the trajectory that we are shopping in. If it caught my attention, I want to see what it is. So I have those moments in true crime. So I'll be reading about a case and then somebody will mention another case or the next episode plays in my ear or a documentary pops up in the recommended for you. And I'm like, ooh, what's this one about? Let's let's figure it out. So that, I, mm, I don't stay on topic very well in my personal life. It, it's it's amazing. I've managed to have a few episodes or a few cases that have required so many episodes. However, I will tell you by third episode, fourth episode with the BTK, by the fifth episode, I was looking for something new to research. Um, because at that point, I had learned everything I, I could. Or at least I felt like I had learned everything I could. And so... With that being said, I make it a point to learn something new every day. It doesn't always have to be life-altering or earth-shattering. Sometimes something small works for, you know, works for me. But 15 times out of 10, it's true crime-related. I'm currently um, extremely obsessed with the evolution of DNA testing. Uh, it's something we kind of touched on in the BTK series. And it's still very fascinating to me how we went from some, from testing that required huge samples. Nine times out of ten, the amount of sample that needed in order to do the DNA required every bit that, that the evidence had. And now we can pull DNA off a paper cup that's virtually, you know, non-existent. So that's, that's my weakness. If I see something on that while I'm researching or reading or whatever, I typically will stop what I'm doing and, and go and see what I can learn. There's no rhyme or reason as to why I pick the cases I do. I don't have them in any specific order. Like I said, if I hear about a case and I think it's interesting enough that I want to share it with you, I write it down on my list. My list is chaotic. Don't look at it. Don't judge me. Um, 
So, and then I just go from there. I mean, that's just, I'm so getting to share some of, uh, some of these answers with you and some of my cases with you. It's, it's, I, I want to be open with you all. I want you to feel like you know me. And I think that's why I was so dead set on doing a question and answer. And I was extremely bummed when my research material didn't make it through. And I can't always take the internet for face value. Okay. So that's why I back a lot of mine with, with printed works that somebody had legitimately gone out and, and had firsthand experience most of the time when putting together these true crime books. So I was extremely bummed and it was recommended that I attempt this. And it's something I wanted to do. I wanted y'all to be able to get to know me a little bit more. And I really needed a, a you know, a way to come out of my little bubble. And I think this, this turned out perfect. In my head, it's completely funny the entire time. Just know I'm having a great time inside of my own head and laughing at my own joke. But, you know, it may not be coming, it may not be coming across to you guys. And if it's not, I apologize. It's awkward. You know, just know true crime's coming back next week. <laughs> Okay, here's, we're to the part of the question and answer where I was getting questions specific to some of the cases that I've covered. Funnily enough, they are about the Chris Watts case. I covered it way back after the Grand Amato case. I think it was the very, I think it was like the third case I covered um, in the show. And it's, it's big as far as it still sparks debates in the media and on social media. So I wanted to touch on a few of the questions that came through that were very specific to this case. Ellie Billy asked me, she says, I love the way you detailed their story. I have two questions. First, the morning of the murders, Nikki Kessinger's phone put her in the town. Do you know the line of when Chris left the house versus when Nikki's or NK's cell pinged in his town. Meaning, is there a theory that they met up in the morning and did she see Shanann's body? Okay, so we're going to do like a quick recap, five seconds. For those of you who don't know the Chris Watts case, have you been living under a rock? No, seriously, Chris uh, Watts murdered his pregnant wife and two young daughters in order to be free to start his life over with his mistress, Nikki Kessinger. He did so in a manner so robotically that the nation is wondering not only about his mental health, but Nikki's involvement in all of it. We did not see a trial because Chris Watts pled guilty under the advisement and not of not receiving the death penalty. He now lives his life inside a cinder block prison in Wisconsin. On the morning of the murders, Chris strangled his wife and then supposedly strangled both of his daughters, and they just happened to wake back up, air quotes with that, as he was getting ready to move Shanann's body. So he loads Shanann's body into his work truck, then he gets the girls, loads them in, grabs some tools that he's going to need, and he drives out of his neighborhood on his way to one of the oil leasing sites that he was going to work then had a leak that day. He buried his dead pregnant wife in a shallow grave. He then strangled his daughters again and submerged them into the two oil batteries on the lease. 
oil batteries is essentially just a container with the oil in it. On the morning of the murders, between the hours of 4 a.m. and 5.45 a.m., at which time his GPS and his truck started pinging every 10 seconds. And I think that's accurate. I think they said it pinged every 10 seconds. And so um, here's the thing. He lived in Frederick, Colorado. Nikki lived in another little subtown outside. And the two worked for Anadarko Petroleum, which was based in another subdivision outside of Frederick. Nikki's drive to work did not run her through Frederick, Colorado on any given day. It was about 30 minutes outside of her daily commute. This being said, her cell phone pings off a tower closest to Chris Watts' home on Saratoga Trail. This is definitely outside of the normal uh, route that she generally took, and this happened at 6.16 a.m. on the morning of the murders. Many Many people question Nikki and her involvement with the murders of Shanann, Nico, Celeste, and Bella. I do not believe she was there for the actual murders. Let me just put that out there first. The reason I don't think she did is because her first ping didn't occur until after Chris had left the home with the bodies in the truck. I do, however, believe that she is involved in this case more than what has been let on so far. She made questionable searches on the internet in the time frame that she began working for Anadarko in the time of the murders. She seemed to be extremely obsessed and jealous of the relationship that Shanann and Chris had, according to their social media. And it would not surprise me if it comes back at some point and puts her right in the middle of planning it all. Chris was caught within 72 hours of the murders. He is a horrible liar, by the way. And he quickly reached out afterwards for a deal. It's almost as if he wanted to avoid a very public trial and what possibly could have came from it in the wake of it all. So he's still really tight-lipped on the details. He, we've heard three different confessions from him in the years since the death of his family. They all raise question to how much Nikki was involved. Whatever amount of blood is on her hands, she would most definitely go down for something far more than just being the mistress. So to wrap it up, Nikki missed out on the murders, so I do not believe she would have had a chance to see the body of Shanann at all. Shanty asks, if I've noticed the discrepancies within the Chris Watt case, yeah, you, you, I have, and you would have to completely be living on another planet not to know that there are huge discrepancies in this case. Again, there are so many discrepancies that raise four times the amount of questions. We can sit here for months, if not years, discussing all of the points in which the stories aren't lining up. But I'm not going to beat this case to death. And unless Chris finds something that drives him to finally spilling the beans, I may not revisit this after this episode. This case is loaded with discrepancies from almost the moment Chris and Nikki meet. Neither one of them can tell the truth to save their lives. She is far more involved in this case than she's willing to admit. 
and Chris is stupid enough to believe that he is saving her by pleading guilty and not talking about the details. This is the same girl, the one he's in love with, that deleted her entire phone, did a factory reset before heading out to talk to Colorado Bureau of Investigation of her own free will. They had yet to even reach out to talk to her. And she started singing like a freaking canary. She threw Chris under the bus, ran his ass over full throttle, threw it in reverse, and ran him over again. She was searching on her computer prior to going in to talk to CBI on how much money did Amber Fry make. For those of you who do not know Amber Fry, she is the mistress of Scott Peterson. Another questionable search, how did Amber Fry get a book deal? Your boyfriend is being accused of murdering his entire family. He annihilated everyone, including the unborn child. And you are on the internet looking at how much money you're going to make as being some national recognized mistress? Seriously? Amber Fry will sit down and tell you this is not the life you want. However, NK, she has her own goals in life. So, there's so much more. This girl is highly unstable. She sees no wrong in the fact that she demanded the same, if not more, amount of love and attention that he had given to Shanann. And when he couldn't deliver, she demanded he walk away from their, his family clean and clear. Nothing anyone can say will convince me of anything different. Okay, I'm really not that naive and I'm not that big-headed. If something concrete comes out, I, I would definitely change it. But I'm going to have a hard time with anything being revealed that, that proves she's not involved in this case. Because I, I strongly believe she had her little finger in the middle of this stew pot, stirring it and stirring it again. Chris still believes he's saving her from keeping his mouth shut. But I hope one day he realizes <clears throat> that the love he had for NK does not equal the amount of love she had for him. And he climbs behind the wheel of that bus and does to her what she did to him. Like I said, I'm not going to keep beating this case to death, hoping for more to come of it. There are conspiracy theories out there, podcasts dedicated to straightening out all the stuff that doesn't line up. And I invite you to seek them out if you want to hear more about all the things that don't mash up in this case. I am not the person who's going to do that for you. I did an, an enormous amount of research. This was probably the first case that required almost seven days prior to recording of research. I had to be three or four hours for seven days straight researching it for the episode, not the entire case. So week one, everything that was discussed in that first episode took an entire week for me to, to fan it out. I have hope that we are going to see a major breakthrough in this case. Within time, Chris will realize he needs to talk. But there's nothing out there right now credible enough for me to continue to talk about this case. So after tonight and after this episode, feel free to ask questions. I'm going to answer them. I just am not going to revisit them on the episode. Betty M. asked the question, um, 
with the Chris Watts case. She said, does Chris Watts have Asperger's? Short answer, I think he does. Long-winded version, he refuses any sort of psychological testing, and it is his right as of right now, so long as he is not a threat to himself or to other inmates. He can forego any psychological testing. The moment he becomes a danger, he no longer has that right. So for now, we may never know if he truly does fall on the spectrum. Um, I would venture to say that if he does, he's high functioning, uh, very capable of leaving, of leading a normal, healthy, and had he chosen a different path in life, functional life. However, I do believe his dependency on his parents in the early life and then it shifted to Shanann when he met her. I would say that Chris desires structure in order to keep the chaos um, at bay. That is something that he received from living with his family and then moving in with Shanann because Shanann was very comfortable being the headstrong one of the couple. And she wanted things done a specific way. And Chris seemed more than happy to do the task as he was instructed. I would say that his brain thrives. He needs to be taught the way for him, the only way it can be done. And then from then on, whenever he completes that task, he mimics the instructions he was given over and over and over. He does not have from point A to point B, from point A to point C to point D, back to point B. He doesn't have, and he doesn't truly seek out different ways to improve upon completing a task that he does on repetition. It's the way he was shown. It's in his mind. It's the only way it needs to be done. And therefore, I think this is why we can say he probably falls on the spectrum. I'm not a licensed professional, and what I have to say is my opinion, and I form that opinion through research, not only into the case, but into the possible mental disorders that could fit Chris Watts. And I will say Asperger's is probably one of the most fitting mental incapacities that he could have. But don't take it for granted. Just because there may be a deficit in his mental capabilities, this does not mean he is not intelligent. So don't get the two mixed up. He can be on the spectrum and he can be highly intelligent. We have, we are still learning about autism and it is still surprising us with all the research. But it is not impossible for you to have autism and, and be extremely intelligent because Chris is extremely intelligent. He's just a really bad liar. I mean, in retrospect, had he been able to save face, um, I think it might have took some time to figure out that uh, Cece and Bella were in those oil batteries. Um, had his co-workers not shown up so quickly after him burying and disposing of the bodies, they may not have noticed that there was some dirt that had recently be, been dug up. I think... Uh, Chris, if he had a little bit more time to plan it, it probably would have gone through better. However, it doesn't matter if he committed the perfect murder. The moment that they 
suggested they suspected him is the moment his whole facade fell through and we got to see Chris Watts for who he really was and that that was a family annihilator. I want to point out to all of my nerds something. Uh, it's something I've noticed in the comment sections of my videos, um, in some of the social media. Uh, I just, I want you to know that it's easy for us to sit back and point the finger at all the wrongdoings we see in case, in cases. It's easy to do that from the comfort of our chairs. However, please, please, please steer clear of victim blaming. We see instances where the victim truly believes one person did something horrible to them only to be proven that they are remembering as a mistake through unequivocal evidence. So that doesn't lessen what they went through. Okay? I had a ton of this shit going on with Shelly Notek's case. And the fact that, you know, the girls didn't fight to save Kathy, Ron, and Shane. You do not understand the amount of mental abuse that was going on in that home from Shelly. I cannot fault them for, for not doing more. Yes, we can all sit back and be like, well, you could have done this and you could have done that. But remember, you're looking at this case in hindsight. You were not there and you were not susceptible to the mental abuse that was occurring. Okay. So it's easy for us to sit back and say, well, they didn't do this. Why didn't they do that? It does not lessen the fact that they are a victim. Okay. Same thing with Chris Watts. You know, there's a lot of people that blame his parents, but at the end of the day, I don't think they had any idea their son was capable of doing what he did. So you can be mad and I can get behind that. I mean, there's frustration in every case that you learn. There really is. But victim blaming doesn't do anything for you, doesn't do anything for the person who live through that. Um, and point blank, it's bullying at the end of the day. We can never truly understand a survivor and the amount of PTSD that comes with them still being alive today in spite of them living through some of the most heinous crimes. The amount of psychological damage that is done to them during these events is unmeasurable and we cannot fault them for something that their tormentor did to another. So please, please be mindful. It's all I ask. You never know who's reading those comments. And I don't want your comment to be read by a person who survived it. We do not need to add to what they are already dealing with. You can be a nerd. You can be a junkie. You can be a murderino. Whatever you want to call yourself. But at the end of the day, remember, you're looking at these cases in hindsight. That's all I want. I want to make sure that is very clear. So be mindful of what you're saying. Be careful of how you say it. Um, please don't be a keyboard warrior on the page. Um, it's not cute. It's really not. I, I've avoided saying something like this for a while, but I think it it's important that I make my stance. So be mindful. You can 
you can you can shoot messages you can shoot questions you can you know talk about theories you can debate the case all you want to just remember at the end of the day the victim did not do anything to deserve what had happened to them I want to thank you all for joining me tonight. It has been fun to have a break and address some of the questions that pop up in your minds as you're listening to the show. It's also been fun to show a little bit more of my personality. Don't think you can't keep asking questions. I promise I will get to them and get you an answer. Even if I don't know the answer, I'll do the little tappity tap on my keyboard and see what I can find out for you. Next week, I should be back on track tackling the case I promised to do tonight. It's going to be the first for the show venturing into something of this magnitude, and I only hope that I can deliver it in, a, in the only way it deserves. As always, I'm going to leave you with one last line. The important thing is not to stop questioning. Curiosity has its own reason for existing. Albert Einstein much love, the true crime librarian.